Hi, this is Miss Coe. I'm going to be talking today about Lines Written in Early Spring by William Wordsworth. Um, please do follow along in your copy of English Romantic Verse and add to your annotations. It's on page 108. So the poem begins with, I heard a thousand blended notes while in a grove I sate reclined. So Wordsworth is establishing his speaker as sitting in a in a reclined position, so lying down, relaxing in a grove, which is a kind of small woodland area. And his speaker hears a thousand blended notes. So there are a thousand notes of nature here, which suggests the pervasive presence of nature. There are so many notes. And of course, the musical quality of nature. And I think the adjective blended is quite interesting because on one hand, it, it could suggest that nature is very harmonious. All of these notes are blended together, perhaps to create some sort of beautiful music. But on the other hand, it could possibly suggest a lack of clarity that these notes are, because they're blended together, he's not able to pick out the individual notes. And he goes on to say that he is in that sweet mood when pleasant thoughts bring sad thoughts to the mind. He says that it's that sweet mood it's interesting he doesn't say a sweet mood, but rather that sweet mood. Perhaps then he expects the reader to relate to this mood that he's in. He assumes that we've also experienced that mood. And it's the mood when the pleasant thoughts inspired by this serene natural setting actually cause him to experience sad thoughts. Perhaps that's because he is forced to come to terms with the fact that even though nature is very pleasant and beautiful, the world of man is not. And that is a, a key idea of the poem that he's going to address in the following stanzas. The metre of the poem is in iambic tetrameter, but that last line um, of the stanza, the fourth line, is is cut short. It has only, only six beats rather than eight. So the short and fourth line creates... Um, emphasis, it makes perhaps uh, a sombre pause after that fourth line because the line is shorter. He goes on in the second stanza to say, to her fair works did nature link the human soul that through me ran. So he's personifying nature here as female. Um, we think, of course, of mother nature. And nature is linking the human soul um, that runs through him to all of her, her fair works, all of the wonderful things that Mother Nature has created, like the grove and the, the blended musical notes that he hears. So that verb link there is quite key because we're seeing there that there is a connection, a link between the human soul and between all of nature. And the verb ran is another interesting choice there because it suggests that the soul is not something that's stationary, but rather it is an active force because the, the verb ran suggests, of course, movement. We think of maybe even blood running through you, your soul running through you. And then he says, and much it grieved my heart to think what man has made of man. So that fourth line there, what man has made of man, is something of... An, an aphorism in the poem. An aphorism is a, a concise statement that contains a general truth, something that seems undeniable and has authority. Aphorism, A-P-H-O-R-I-S-M. Um, 
And that's what he's thinking about, what man has made of man. And, you know, instantly we think of things that are man-made, that are unnatural in contrast to nature's fair works. And we think of perhaps the Industrial Revolution, which Wordsworth, uh, like many of the Romantic poets, really didn't like. He felt that human beings were becoming um, increasingly mechanised because of the growing industry of the time. I think it's also a reference to Wordsworth's feelings about the French Revolution. Now, we know that Wordsworth was a big supporter of the French Revolution, but by this point, by 1798, when he wrote this poem, he'd really seen his kind of revolutionary fervour lessen. He had become quite disillusioned, disillusioned by the French Revolution because of the, the horrors and the violence that, that happened in France. So he is grieving to think about what man has made of man. Stanza three, he says, Through primrose tufts in that green bower, the periwinkle trailed its wreaths. And tis my faith that every flower enjoys the air it breathes. So he's describing these lovely flowers that he can see in the grove. There, uh, the periwinkle there is personified as as kind of intentionally trailing its wreaths of flowers in in a way to make it seem more beautiful and he is asserting his faith that the flowers are enjoying their existence they enjoy the air that they're breathing so he wants to believe that pleasure is found within nature that nature actually takes pleasure in itself and then it stands for the birds around me hopped and played, their thoughts I cannot measure. So there's something very childlike and, and innocent and quite sweet about the way he's describing the birds there. Um, but he cannot actually understand their thoughts. Their thoughts are beyond his measure. So there's something about perhaps nature then that is beyond human understanding. As humans, we are linked to nature, but it represents another mode of being. Um, even though there is a connection between man and nature. He can't quite understand, he can't measure the thoughts of the birds. But the least motion which they made, it seemed a thrill of pleasure. So he thinks that these birds and nature seem to be full of pleasure. There is perhaps an element of uncertainty, though, with the word seemed there. It seemed a thrill of pleasure. He's not quite sure but he, he wants to believe it and he thinks it's the case. Stanza five then. The budding twigs spread out their fan to catch the breezy air. It's quite similar to the periwinkle trailing its wreaths. It seems that nature is intentionally arraying itself in a way that's going to be beautiful, that's going to be pleasurable. Here, the twigs are actively spreading themselves out so that they can experience this pleasant breeze in the air. So more personification happening here, of course. And he says, and I must think, do all I can, that there was pleasure there. So again, he's really trying to assert his belief that pleasure, that nature takes pleasure in its own existence. But the phrasing really isn't very confident. And I must think, do all I can. It seems quite desperate that he's really having to try hard to convince himself that there is pleasure there. And the final stanza... If this belief from heaven be sent, if such be nature's holy plan, have I not reason to lament 
what man has made of man. So he is establishing that nature here really is divine, um, that nature has a holy plan. This is part of God's works. Um, but because of this, because nature is, is holy, um, that's all the more reason, therefore, to lament, to, to grieve, to mourn what man has made of man. And he repeats that aphorism from stanza two here, which, of course, emphasises the point. And he finishes with a final exclamation mark that it's now an exclamation of, of lamentation. So he's lamenting the state of man in contrast to the beautiful, pleasurable qualities of nature. I hope that was useful. Thank you very much for listening.